Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Hey, before we get, uh, get into our, uh, our lesson today in Daniel chapter 8, we got some good news to report to you. Um, you know, uh, Kathy Miller and Mike Miller attend our church, and they're the owners of Tastries right down uh, the way here, just right off to our side. And they won their court case yesterday. <laughs> huge, huge. Um, it's so awesome to see that. And uh, the judge basically wrote out a 22-page uh, document that Kathy and Mike are going to give me to see what his reasonings were. And the primarily, primary reason was freedom of speech. That's number one. And then the other thing is that she was not discriminating because um, she was motivated by her Christian beliefs, which doesn't approve of the gay lifestyle. And so um, the judge withheld, uh, uh, sorry, uh, upheld their right to freedom of speech. And now, you know, that sets a lot of precedence, guys, um, which is fantastic because, um, you know, it's one thing that, you know, you can sell a cake if we have it on display. It's one thing to make a cake. And the idea is that that is a freedom of expression, a freedom of speech in order to create something. And that's big. That's huge. And so we're glad to see that. Uh, continue to pray for them. I mean, they've been put through the ringer these last few months, man. Uh, you know, they, they constantly get death threats, believe it or not. Um, and it's, it's just a constant battle. It's, it's, it's a tiring battle. They're fatigued, but they're happy they won and praising God. So we're joining them in that. So it's a big win, huge win. So it's good to see that stuff, man. So anyway, um, the other thing, we're going to jump into uh, Daniel chapter 8 and 11. We're continuing our series in Daniel, and we're at chapter 8, but I'm going to bring in 11 uh, to talk a, a little bit more about the Antichrist, and that's where we're at. Now, as you saw on the, um, <clears throat> the prophecy update, it had two stories that are coming out of Israel about their rabbis, and like, you know, one guy saying, oh, he's having secret meetings with the Messiah, and this and that, and that's a lie, uh, because he's not having secret meetings with Jesus. And, and Jesus actually warned against that. And he said, look, if they tell you I'm in the inner room, don't believe it. See, I have told you beforehand. He said that in Matthew 24. So there's a warning about that. But, and then these other rabbis are like afraid to leave the land of Israel because they're afraid they're gonna miss the Messiah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on being conjured up by the rabbis. Now, let me explain something, because this ties into what we're going to study today. We're very pro-Israel, because we support the Abrahamic covenant, okay, at Rock Harbor. We support the right, the right of, of the Jews uh, to the land. That's their land that God gave them, and we, we, we uh, support their right to exist, and that God's going to use them one day. They're going to come to faith in Yeshua and be the head of the nations, not the tail anymore, so God has a plan for them. And that's why we support them, because the Abrahamic covenant promises this. And so, but here's the thing I, that, that you have to understand. We can be pro-Israel, but I am not pro-government of Israel, because their government is crazy. Uh, Lapid's wanting to have a two-state solution, and then Lapid just recently, you know, signed off some of these gas reserves to Lebanon because he succumbed to the pressure of Hezbollah, saying they were going to bomb Israel if they didn't give them those gas reserves up there in the... Uh, 
the bordering area in the sea there in the Mediterranean. And that was a wrong move. And, and then the other note is this. We do not support the rabbis, okay? The rabbis have totally misaligned Judaism. They have created a works-based religion. This goes all the way back to the Pharisees. And today, what modern-day Judaism is, is the cult of the rabbi. And it is the rabbis that are keeping and preventing Israel from seeing Jesus as their Messiah. The rabbis won't even let them speak the name of Jesus. That's how bad they are. So um, it's gonna take, uh, obviously, the tribulation to rock the, 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 the world of Israel, to get them away from their rabbis and to stop listening to them. And, and so as you can see, they're, they're, you know, the rabbis are conjuring up, oh, we're, we're, we're having meetings with the Messiah, yada, yada. But here's what's happening. The rabbis and their political leaders will eventually encourage a deal with the devil, they will encourage Israel to make a covenant with the Antichrist. And that's where all this is leading. This is where, why those rabbis and these political leaders like Lapid are leading the poor nation of Israel to do a deal with the devil. And that's what we're gonna talk about today with the Antichrist. But so keep that in mind. You know, we wanna support Israel, we want them to get saved, but man, those rabbis are really torching theologically, the poor Jews. And so they, they have become the problem that will set them up for the Antichrist. So let's talk about the Antichrist today. And let's dive into Daniel chapter eight and Daniel chapter 11, okay? So it says this in Daniel chapter eight, and he, the Antichrist, shall exalt himself in his heart. Daniel eleven thirty six. I brought in so you can see how this exaltation goes. Then the king, this is the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will. He shall not exalt and magnify himself, or he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. So the exaltation that you have is not just simply human pride. This goes to a whole new level where the guy thinks he's God, okay? It's a whole new level. And it's like his father, Satan, pride welled up in his heart and he, he fell in love with him. He's the ultimate narcissist and then decided that he could become God and he could sit uh, above the stars of heaven and take God's throne. So it's the same exaltation that Satan did with himself that the Antichrist does and that totally follows. Now, here's the thing. They're not content with just claiming themselves to be God. They blaspheme the one true God, Yahweh, Jesus. They blaspheme God. And that's what the Antichrist hallmark is. He blasphemes. Now, to put this on the ground for us, to, uh, to current events and what's going on, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. It's working through our society. It's creating this environment where people have God complexes. And when they have a God complex, they've bought into the lie of Genesis 3, of like, you can become like him, knowing good and evil. So what's happening is we have evil people today with the spirit of Antichrist deciding right and wrong for us and deciding how our lives will go. It's called a God complex. They think they're God. Well, that's how he is. Now, one of the guys that you wanna pay attention to uh, right now is Yuval Harari. Yuval Harari is the brainchild of Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. And he is the brainchild for a lot of the political leaders in doing what they're doing right now with this God complex. In fact, our own Gavin Newsom 
is a devotee of the World Economic Forum. He was trained by Klaus Schwab, and that information comes from Yuval Harari. So what you see Gavin Newsom doing here in California comes straight from Yuval Harari. So here's Yuval Harari showing you that he says that we can become gods. This is, the, this is where we're at. So you can see it. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And, um, and I think that fake news have been with us for thousands of years. Um, just think of the Bible. But, there's, <laughs> but, but there is... A... The past controls us through various stories that ancient people invented and we still believe. We think about ourselves as belonging to a certain nation like Israel or Brazil, and we believe in a certain religion, like Judaism or Christianity. So, when I ask myself, who am I? I might reply that I'm Israeli, I'm Jewish. Yet, all these nations and religions are fairly recent developments. While humans have been around for more than two million years, none of our nations and religions is more than a few thousand years old. Brazilians, no Portuguese, no Chinese. Judaism is only 3,000 years old. Christianity is about 2,000 years old. And even after they appeared, all these religions have undergone repeated changes. The Judaism or Christianity of today are very different from what they were a thousand years ago. They are not eternal truth, but rather human creations. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Wait, that's not true? Blasphemy. That's blasphemy. That's a picture of what the Antichrist will do. He blasphemes the God of heaven saying that, you know, um, all this Christianity, Judaism is all made up, human inventions, and the nations are human inventions. Wait a second. Are the nations human inventions? Because I distinctly remember reading Genesis where God didn't want them all clumped up in one uh, pot, so to speak, at the Tower of Babel, and he confused the languages so he could create individual nations. God created the nations, not humans, and said, he said, humans did that. That's blasphemy. But it's no different than what you're seeing today in our current society. Look at the blasphemy of those who have this God complex that think they know right and wrong. Here's a guy who claims to be a pastor. He's a non-binary queer pastor. I didn't even know that existed. Says that the eunuch baptism, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized in Acts 8, is proof that God approves of transgenderism. Dude, that's crazy. But that's blasphemy, right? Transgenderism? No, I think when you read Genesis, there's only two genders. Sorry. Transgenderism is actually forbidden according to Deuteronomy 22. It's forbidden. But see, this is the Antichrist mentality. Look at this. New transgender doll dressed as a girl, but with male genitalia hits the market. Yeah. Wow. Did you think you would live to see the day where they have a transgender doll to sell to kids for Christmas coming up? Oh yeah, Target's gonna have it, Walmart, Toys R Us, 
All of them, they're going to have this transgender doll because it's equity and inclusion and diversity, right? It's Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist goes to destroy all categories that God has created in order for us to have a society. He goes after gender. He goes after sexuality. He goes after all of uh, the biblical morals and destroys them. This is what's happening in our culture. They're destroying all categories that uphold our society. How about this now? What in the world is wrong with parents who are now handing their children over to perverts? Why are they allowing kids, these parents, to do drag queen shows with drag queens at bars? What kind of parent is that? Where is CPS? How come no one comes after those parents and puts them in jail for endangering their kids for pedophilia and molestation? It's all gone because spirit of Antichrist. Now here's Stacey Abrams, again, another Antichrist spirit. She's gone full psychopath at this point, okay? Says abortion is a solution for inflation. So killing babies will help our inflation is what she's saying. Do you understand that they would have put people like that away because they're psychopaths, they're sociopaths, they have no guilt for saying that? She has no problem killing babies, she thinks, for inflation. Now, wait a second. You would have put this person away in the loony bin years ago, but today she's their hero. That's how much society has changed. She has people that would support her. That's why she's not taken away to the loony bin. Spirit of Antichrist, isn't it? Murderer. Let's go back to studying about this guy, this coming one. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, in the context, it's referring to his religious background, okay? This guy. Again, the Antichrist will claim to be God, but it's trying to identify his religious background. And let's, so there's three points in this text that we need to parse out. First of all, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers. This has been mistaken. This has been mistaken to say he's Jewish. He is not Jewish. In fact, the way you should translate it is not singular God, not referring to Yahweh. It's in the plural Elohim which means gods. So it should be translated, he shall regard neither the gods of his fathers. Now, what, that, what does that mean? Well, whatever his, his family on his mother's side, whatever religion they are, he will not practice their religion from his ancestry. So they could be Roman Catholic, they could be Buddhist, Hindu, it doesn't matter. It's whatever his family practices, he doesn't practice, okay? That's all it's saying. Okay, then we move on to the second point, nor the desire of women. Now, again, people take this out of context and they say, ah, oh, see, look, he has no desire for women. He must be gay. Well, it's, that's not what it's talking about. Again, the context is dealing with his religion. And what this is, is a Hebrew idiom that goes all the way back to Daniel's day. What's the Hebrew idiom? Well, it's the uh, it should be desired by women. That was given to Judaism. So it's a reference to Judaism. 
Mosaic Judaism, not rabbinic Judaism, but Mosaic Judaism, which was practiced correctly uh, even in Daniel's day. Now, what do you mean? It's a nickname for Judaism because in Judaism, in all of Judaism, Mosaic Judaism, it's the coming Messiah that everyone anticipates. It's the coming one, the anointed one that's coming. So what ended up happening in in Mosaic Judaism is every woman knew the prophecies of Genesis 3.15 and Isaiah 7 that talked about one day a virgin will conceive of the Messiah and give birth to the Messiah. And so in that tradition, every Jewish woman hoped and prayed that one day they would birth the Messiah. It was their hope and dream, every little girl's dream to be able to birth the Messiah. Hence, the nickname got attached to Judaism in that day of the desired of women. So that's all it means. So it clearly states he doesn't practice Judaism. So he doesn't practice what his ancestors practiced. He doesn't practice Judaism. And oh, by the way, let me note this. He is not a Jew. Again, they will say he shall neither God, the God of his fathers say, well, see, that's Yahweh and therefore he must be Jewish. He's not Jewish. Because if you go to Daniel chapter nine, Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, 27 says he comes from the people who destroyed the temple. Now, let me ask you this in history. Who destroyed the temple in 70 AD? Romans. Okay, so we know he's a Gentile because he comes from the sea. And then we know his nationality is Roman in his DNA. So he can't be Jewish. He is Roman in his descent because he comes from the people that destroyed the temple. Okay, Daniel chapter 9, 26 and 27. Okay, so one more thing it says about him, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. So basically it's saying he doesn't have any religion. So basically, the scripture is saying he has no religious background as far as anything he worships, because guess what? He thinks he's God, right? That's what he's, what he's trying to say. So you can't attach any religious affiliation to him. Okay. Then Paul gives more information about this. Paul says the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. So he opposes God or that is worshiped of God, okay? So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, what do I mean? What does Paul mean by this? Well, again, he proclaims himself to be God. So what transpires for him to do this? Okay, so we've already noted that he is Satan's son, okay? His supernatural origins. The other thing you have to note he rises to power in the first half of the tribulation. And then something happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. Another world war happens. There will be three world wars in the tribulation. The beginning, the middle, and Armageddon is the last one. In the middle, he gets attacked by the king of the north and the king of the south. And we can't identify those kings because they will happen in the future. And they try to do a pincer move on him in the nation of Israel. He's in Israel and a pincer move comes down on him. That's a military move where you just, you, you do a pincer. And he's, he, he is able to fight off the two kings, 
but he dies in battle and he receives a head wound. And the head wound is remarked in Revelation 13 and in Daniel chapter 11 that he dies. Okay, he lays in state and then he has a counterfeit resurrection and he comes back to life. And at this point, all the world marvels and then he claims to be God and the world starts worshiping as God. Because remember, he's anti-Christ. He's instead of Christ. He, he is pretending to be the real Jesus. And what he has done is counterfeited everything Jesus has done. He will counterfeit the virgin birth. He will counterfeit signs and wonders that Jesus did. And he will counterfeit the resurrection. Remember, what Satan is attempting to do is counterfeit the entire trinity. As Satan plays the role of the father, Antichrist plays the role of the son, and the false prophet plays the role of the Holy Spirit. Everything is being counterfeited at this point in time. Okay, so then once he's resurrected and proclaims himself to be God, he goes into the Jewish temple. And yes, this implies that the Jews will be, uh, rebuild their temple on the temple mount in the future, in the near future, you're probably gonna see it. And he will go into that Jewish temple and then desecrate it by proclaiming himself to be God and probably sitting right on the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's throne. Now you say, Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant's been lost. Yes, but the Jews know where it's at. And they say that once they rebuild the temple, they will pull the Ark out they believe it's under in a grotto underneath the Temple Mount. And they, will, they, they, they know where it's at. They can't get there because the Arabs said, if you, this is back in the 80s, if you dig any further under that Temple Mount, we will have a holy war with you. So today it's sealed up. You can go and see it today if you go underneath the wall, um, on the Western Wall, which we're gonna do in Israel in next month. We're gonna, I'll show you where the entrance is to where they think the Ark of the Covenant is. Anyway, they will pull out the Ark of the Covenant, set it up in the Jewish temple, and for Antichrist to, 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 look what it says, he sits as God in the temple. Sits as God. The only place you're gonna sit is on the Ark of the Covenant, because that is actually the throne of God, symbolically. So he's gonna go in there and actually sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the one Moses made. Imagine that. The Ark of the Covenant where they put blood and inside the Ark of the Covenant is the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod and the pot of manna. Antichrist will go in there and sit on that throne. Blasphemy. And then he'll erect a statue to himself in the temple precincts as well. That's when he does that. At that point then, he requires worship of everybody on the planet. And if you don't, he kills you. So the way he will do this is he issues the mark of the beast and the mark of the beast will go out. And, and before the mark of the beast is issued, an angel is sent by God to fly around the entire globe warning all of humanity not to take the mark of the beast. For if you do, he says that will condemn you to the lake of fire. So that's when the dividing line starts happening in real time. If anyone takes the mark of the beast, they are confined 
to the lake of fire forever and ever and ever, it says in, in Revelation chapter 14. So that's the dividing line. So this is where it all starts, is the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, again, I'm going to show you, you know, Yuval Harari, again, the brainchild for all this globalism and all this stuff you're seeing. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the, his exaltation of man to a God status. And the fact that they're challenging, blaspheming, challenging God that they can do a better job in creating. This is Antichrist-esque. Listen to this. The next big projects of humankind will be to overcome old age and death, to find the keys, the secrets to happiness, and to basically upgrade humans into gods. This is why the title Homo Deus, God-man. And I don't mean it as a kind of literary metaphor. I mean it in, as in, in the literal sense that for thousands of years, humans have imagined gods in a particular way. They ascribed particular abilities and qualities to gods. And we are here in a church, and the walls are full of these descriptions of what God can do. And we are now seriously in the business of acquiring these traditional divine abilities and qualities to ourselves. Uh, whether it's trying to overcome death and gain immortality, or whether it's gaining the ability to create and design life according to our wishes. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis, basically the first thing God does is to create animals and plants and humans according to his wishes. We are now trying to gain this divine ability to ourselves. It's very likely that in the 21st century, the main product, the most important products of the human economy will no longer be just vehicles and textiles and food and weapons. The main products will be bodies and brains and minds. And in a way, we are even reaching beyond what ancient religions ascribed to, to the gods. Because the gods, like Jehovah in the Bible, they could create only organic beings. If you look, if you're a creationist, and you look at the world, so all these animals, all these plants, God created them, and they are all organic. Now humans are trying to do better than that. Humans are going to try to do better than that. So what, are they, what is he proposing? What are they wanting to do? Humans 2.0 that they will accomplish immortality, prevent death, right, through their technology, that they're better than God, that they're smarter than God. God only was able to create organic life, but we're going to create synthetic life and give eternal life to people because they'll be able to live because we'll grow hearts in Petri dishes and lungs and, and all this stuff and we'll constantly trade them out so they can live forever or maybe deposit their brain into another body or something like that, some weirdo experiment, Frankenstein stuff, uh, and mess with their genetic coding. Do you understand that is antichrist S because it's going against the creator of life, saying we can do a better job. This is where it's at, guys. I show you this to show you that's their mentality. It, it, it's the spirit of Antichrist. Let's continue on. What else does Antichrist do? 
Daniel chapter 11 talks about this. Well, instead of worshiping any God or religion per se, since he believes he's God, he does serve something. Obviously he serves his father, Satan. But notice what verse 38 says. But in their place, and the, there refers back to gods, you know, religion. He shall honor a God of fortresses. And a God, this God of fortresses, which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. So what is this God of fortresses? Well, it's a Hebraic idiom. The God of fortresses refers to military power. He will worship military power. This will be the so-called God for the Antichrist. And like you can see, Daniel says he pours all of his wealth into this to have this military power. And so this is this big thing. So what Antichrist does as he rises to power, he will come among the 11, uh, sorry, the 10 horns. So let me explain this a little bit. What you're watching right now is the stage setting for the one world government, okay? Once it is established and you have a one world currency, a digital currency, 10 kings will arise to govern the entire world. So it will not be the United States governing us. It will be some ruler that governs Canada, Mexico, and America as they're proposing even now with uh, immigration, okay? That we go to a regional government and, over, and one guy will be over that regional government. And that will happen in 10 places out throughout the world to control the world. So once that's established, and it will be in the near future, Antichrist rises out of that system. He becomes the 11th horn. There's 10 kings, 10 horns, and he becomes another one. When he rises to power, what he does is takes three regional kings out and murders them, takes over their region militarily. And then he is so militarily strong, the other seven regions submit to him because they cannot make war with him. It says this in Revelation 13, who is likened to the beast? Who can make war with him? Because he's got military backing and he's a billionaire that puts money into this military thing. Do not think the days of the tree huggers where we're having, you know, no, no military is, is, is gonna go. In fact, we're gonna get more militaristic in the world because of the spirit of Antichrist. Anyway, that's how he rises to power is through his military prowess. That's why he has a bow that has no arrows because the bow is just meant to show you I can destroy you. And all I have to do is put an arrow in there and pull it. Maybe he has nuclear weapons. I don't know. But they're gonna be very much afraid of this guy. But really, to put it on the bottom shelf for all of us, the Antichrist works with a policy of power. Not right and wrong, a policy of power. It's all about military power. But right now, if you wanna look at the spirit of Antichrist, all you have to look at is how these governing bodies, these leaders are operating on the policy of power. That's what Gavin Newsom is doing in California. That's what the Biden administration is doing. They're running on a policy of power. Well, that's what the educational system is doing. They're running on a policy of power. In fact, I know what the NEA said. 
Years ago, they said, this is not about the children. This is about power. And that came from the head of, of the, the teachers union, the NEA, said that. This is about power. All this stuff with your gas prices going higher, it's about power and control. All this stuff that's going on in education is about power. You think they really care about educating your kids? No, it's about power and indoctrinating them with their worldview. That's what it's about. It's always been about power. And so if you think you're going to make an argument with these people that Joe Biden or, or Kamala Harris or any of these people or even the Republicans, you know, uh, you know Mitch McConnell or, or Kevin McCarthy, if you think you're going to make a moral argument with them and, be, and them be convinced by you, you're not thinking straight. Because it's not about right and wrong for them. It's about power. And power has no right and wrong. Because once you achieve the power, then you as a God determine the right and wrong. Remember Obama said this when he won years ago? Elections have consequences. Do you remember him saying that? Elections have consequences. Do you know what he meant by that? That the fact that they got into power, he got into power because he was going to fundamentally change America, which he started the process of doing. And the Biden administration is the old Biden administration continuing the process, by the way, of dismantling America. So, so here's the thing. Might makes right in their view. Might makes right. So if we're in control, then we're going to call the shots. So let's bring it down to a local level. Or what's going on in our school boards, in our, in our kids' uh, public schools. You have school board members that are only there, not for moral reasons, but for a political reason of power. And they're working their way up through the political scheme, okay? So you're going to go to a board meeting and you're going to argue for right and wrong to a guy or a gal who doesn't believe in right and wrong. And I don't care if they call themselves Christians. They're there for power because what Christian would put tampon dispensers in a boy's bathroom? What kind of Christian is that? It's a Christian that if he is a Christian or if they are a Christian, they're all about power. They're all worried about being sued. It's about keeping and retaining their power. And so for them, the end justifies the means. So you mean, Brandon, they really don't care that my gas prices are going up? No. Do they really care about my health? Because they keep pushing this vaccine and now they're pushing it on my kids in public schools. To be able to go to public schools, you're gonna have to have a COVID-19 vaccine along with your other stuff. You think they really care about your kid's health? No, they wanna kill your kid. They want them to have myocarditis and just collapse. Like all these teenagers are just collapsing and no one says why. Well, we don't know. It's a mystery. They got vaccinated, dude. They won't talk about that because at the end, the end justifies the means. If we have to kill a few humans, no problem. Like I showed you on Wednesday, a couple Wednesdays ago, and I showed you Monkey Works, the, um, the guy who follows aircraft all the time in, in military operations. And what, what Monkey showed was that an American, an American airplane, a bomber, was seen in the air over Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 
the night that thing got bombed. Our own aircraft was, was over there and then it went to refuel itself and circled the area over the Nord Stream pipeline for one and a half hours while it refueled. Then the two planes broke away. The refueling was American. And this American plane, a military plane, did a turnaround and came back this way and then went and did a dive. And, and all of a sudden, you see the plane go up, which means it released a bomb. And it went up and then took off and didn't fly back to Great Britain. It flew directly to the United States. I wonder what happened. I wonder who bombed Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2. Because like I've always said, if that was us and it looks like it was, do, why doesn't the Biden administration care that the Germans and the French and Europeans are going to freeze to death over there? This winter, they're going to freeze. The prices of gas, or sorry, energy is skyrocketing over there. They can't afford it. So people are going to freeze. Why don't they care? Because it's about power. Because the end justifies the means. And we don't care if a bunch of people die. We don't care. We don't care if a bunch of people die, uh, uh, you know, from the uh, experimental jab, if you want to call it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm on uh, YouTube right now. So I got to watch my language. Uh, the experimental jab. Um, why? Because the, the idea is to manufacture crises and then take advantage of the crises and say, we have the solution, but in the process, they get more power and they take away our rights. That's what's happening. So you, this, is, this is the Antichrist, but that's what they're using right now against us. So check this out. You want to see the power moves? CDC advisory committee votes unanimously to add COVID-19 vaccines to the vaccines for children's list. Now they'll say, well, the CDC doesn't create, uh, you know, uh, state law. The state's got to approve that. Uh, what do you think Newsom's going to do? He's going to follow the CDC. What do you think the school districts are going to do? Because I can tell you, the school districts, all, they all claim, we're just following the CDC guidelines. We're just following the CDC guidelines. Just like the Nazi soldiers followed Hitler's commands to kill Jews. We're just following guidelines, CDC guidelines, CDC guidelines. Do you understand to go to public school then, you're going to have to have a COVID-19 put in your kid's arm. Sorry, I'm done. Not going to happen. With watching all the VAERS reports and all the, the problems that are happening from this vaccine. Experimental jab. I hope, I hope, they, I hope the algorithm doesn't pick up on that. Anyway, look at this other thing. They want parents indoctrinated too. Now, what do you mean? Several woke New York City private schools require parents to take anti-racism training. Sign the pledge or else, or else your kid doesn't go to school. Now, this is happening in private schools. Now, the private schools are woke, but this will start catching on. The private schools will follow a lot of what the public schools will do and say, hey, man, we don't want any racists here. Uh, you parents, come here. If your kid wants to come here, you signed a, you signed a woke white privilege uh, uh, you know, document stating that you're not woke, or sorry, that you're not uh, having white privilege or whatever it is. Are you insane? 
You're going to force that on parents that they have to be indoctrinated to send their kids to school? Do you understand the spirit of Antichrist and what it's doing? The spirit of Antichrist is creating a ghetto for you and I. What do you mean? Well, again, remember the practice of creating ghettos uh, Hitler did in Nazi Germany. And he put all the Jews in a ghetto and said, you guys can live your little lives right there, but you're not part of society anymore. You're in the ghetto, right? Okay. What is happening now is they're creating a wallless digital ghetto for those who go against the system. So... If you want your, you, okay, you're going to say, well, I can't, I can't send my kids to public school because they're crazy. And then over here in these private schools, uh, they're requiring me to be woke and make me sign a pledge that I'm woke. Uh, what, 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 what is that doing to you? It is putting you in a virtual ghetto. Where do you go? Where do you go? Now, look at this. Newsom signs into law this new bill. It's AB 2098. And what does it do? It forbids doctors telling you how bad the experimental jab is on you. It forbids them talking about Charlie Oscar Victor Igloo Delta one-niner and, the, and, and how it has really virtually no effect on the general population. But see, it's, it, it, you can't be a doctor. So this is more of a ghetto. So when I go to my doctor and he's he's pumping the experimental injection to me and into my kids and anything else that he wants to. Where do I go now? Because I can't go to him anymore. Well, if I go to this doctor, he's woke and he's part of it because he's afraid to lose his license. I go over here, he's afraid to lose his license. What, what happens? You are being ghettoed. You are being ghettoed because these doctors are not going to put their license on the line. And you're running out of options. That's what they're doing. That's power. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Look at this. This is ridiculous, right? New Zealand farmers take to the streets to protest proposed cow flatulence law tax. Are you out of your mind, Brandon? No, I'm not. This is really happening. They want to tax uh, the gas that comes from a cow. Flatulence. How are they going to do that? Is someone going to stand by them all day long and count it? What, 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 what are we talking about here? You, you ever think you would see this ridiculousness? No, you, I didn't. Okay, so what is this about, though? What is this about? They're wanting to make it harder for farmers or, or cattlemen to raise cattle, to raise chickens. That's why you had all these fires in these chicken factories. And, and then they want to make it harder on any... Any protein from animal, they want it to be hard for, to get and scarce. And in fact, the prices of meat will skyrocket to the point that you and I will not be able to afford meat. And you think, why would they do that? Oh, because it's part of their plan. So this whole uh, cow flatulence thing has to go with uh, controlling cattlemen and farmers. They want the food scarce, scarcity. And... How, how this butts up against God and how this is antichrist-esque because God told Noah after the flood, eat of any of the animals. You now have to eat the animals for protein. The environment is not gonna produce enough protein. You need to get it from animal flesh. And so hence the Noahic covenant is still in effect. And Paul, 
Paul told Timothy, in the latter days, they will forbid you eating meat. There it is. We're there. They are forbidding eating meat. This is why these, these tree huggers in Europe are going into the grocery stores and pouring out all the milk. Have you seen that? They're, just, they're dumping it out, right? Uh, but why? Because the cows are bad for the environment. No, no, they, they, these, this is a lie. Or then these idiots um, go and glue themselves to, um, I can't remember what car dealership it was. It was Porsche or Audi or something, you know, over there, Volks, it's Volkswagen, that's what it was. So these idiots glued themselves to the Volkswagen factory on the ground to protest, you know, cars. We gotta eliminate cars. I mean, they're part of the, you know, they believe the nonsense. But what is this about? It's not about saving the planet. It's about power. It's about control. It's about getting the power from you and them having it. That's what it's all about. And think about this, you, you attack food and scarcity, you can control people. Energy, food, you got people, right? And then the economy, then you have power. If you control those three aspects, you have them. That's what's happening. Let's continue on, it says this, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, that foreign God is military power, right? Which he, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for game. Now, this last phrase is what I want you to notice. Like I said, Antichrist then, he takes over by taking three kings out and the seven others submit to him. So he rules the world with these seven other kings underneath him. That's what it's referring to. And basically divide the land. Now, this could be a reference to Israel or a reference to the globe. Let's take the, the globe uh, as an example. The globe will be global government, but it'll be sliced and diced into 10 regions. That's what's coming. And so what this passage is predicting is that dividing of the globe into 10 regions. Now, if this is a passage, this passage refers to the land of Israel. Well, that happens too, by the way. Antichrist takes control of Israel and he divides up their land. And hence, that's why in the sheep and goat judgment in Joel chapter three, Matthew 25, there is a, a penalty for dividing the land of Israel. And oh, as a note, as a note of current events, anytime we propose dividing the land of Israel, we are going to get hammered by the Abrahamic covenant. So the Biden administration is pushing a two-state solution and even the, the own, their own politics in Israel, Lapid, is pushing a two-state solution. They're gonna get hammered as countries because of that. You cannot oppose the Abrahamic covenant. And I, 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 I'm, I think the judgment has already fallen in that sense on America, what I'm seeing right now. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Now, when Daniel made this prophecy, he didn't know how long it would go. But later on in Daniel chapter nine, and then later on long, a long time after that, John the Revelator comes in and says it's seven years. It's a seven year period. And the last half of that seven years is when he controls the entire world. But look at this. He, the Antichrist, shall even rise against the Prince of Princes. Who is the Prince of Princes? Messiah, Jesus. But he shall be broken without human means. Now we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. Now we're gonna get into stuff that's never talked to about on Sunday morning, okay? Because it makes people upset, okay? But we're not 
in um, a popsicle cotton candy type of church. We're gonna tell you what it is. And you'll see after I'm done why they don't preach this. So it says Antichrist is, is basically destroyed without human means. That means no human being will be able to destroy him, but someone will. Second Thessalonians 2.8, Paul remarks about this. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, whom the Lord, and the Lord in this passage is who? Jesus, will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you scared Sylvia. Sylvia, but I had a heart attack right there. Where's the emergency right now? Sylvia's going into cardiac arrest. <laughs> but think about this, okay? There's two ways that in these two ways, Messiah will kill the Antichrist. So this is talking about the second coming, okay? The first way is with the spoken word by the Messiah. Jesus created the, the universe through the spoken word. Let there be light, boom, there's light, right? The creator has the ability to create ex nihilo, out of nothing. He speaks things into existence. And that means he can speak things out of existence, with that creative ability. So with the word, which is called the sword, which proceeds from the mouth of, of Jesus, he kills him. But also, it's not just simply the sword, but look what it says, the brightness of his coming. The brightness of his coming refers to the Shekinah glory of Jesus. When the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your return? The second coming, not the rapture, the rapture's secret. The second coming, he says, you will see the son of man on the clouds of glory. Those are the Shekinah clouds, the glory clouds and the brightness of the Shekinah. Now, what is the big deal about this? How does the Shekinah kill somebody? Because any human being that sees God in his glory will die because he's so holy. Remember, Moses wanted to see God's glory and God forbid that and only allowed Moses to see the afterglow after he passed because what would happen if Moses saw him? Moses would die. Isaiah, in a vision, in a vision, sees the throne of God and he sees the train of God's robe. And when he sees that in a vision... Guess what happens? He says, I'm coming apart at the seams. He could feel his body actually coming apart because of being in the presence of God. So when Messiah comes back, he comes back in full glory. They will see his glory. And that glory actually kills the Antichrist along with the word of God. Amazing. So it's very anticlimactic, right? He just comes back and the Antichrist is there to fight with his armies and it's like nothing happens. It's like, boom, you're dead. All right, what else do we need to do here? And then at that point, then we go into the slaughter of the Antichrist armies. Now I'm, I'm showing you this for a reason because I'm gonna make a point about this, but this is why this is not talked about because people say, well, that's not my Jesus. Well, this is the Jesus of the Bible. So once he kills Antichrist, Antichrist's soul goes into hell and look how he's mocked in hell. This is Isaiah 14. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones and all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak 
and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Yes, he has. He's no longer the, the king of the world. He is down in hell with everyone else that opposed God. Have you become like us? Yes, he has. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the place of the dead. And the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you, particularly his body. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Because that's what he will do. And that's what they're doing now to America. Who did not open the house of his prisoners? You, you put everyone into captivity. You put them in the ghettos with your technology. All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. You know what that's saying? That's a Hebrew idiom of you, uh, Messiah will not allow the Antichrist burial. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, in America, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you go in the Middle East and you go back into the ancient days of the Bible, to refuse burial to somebody was the most dishonorable thing you could do to them. And that's what he's doing with the Antichrist. He refuses to bury the Antichrist once he kills him. So his body, his corpse is being eaten up by maggots right there in front of everybody. Like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit. Watch this. Like a corpse trodden underfoot. You know what he just said? I'm going to refuse you burial. In fact, as your body is laying there and your soul is in hell, the maggots are going to start eating you. And your own armies will trample your body as they run from me. So the trodden underfoot is the Antichrist armies as they're running from Jesus, stomping on his body. He's no longer their leader now. Their leader has been killed by Jesus. You will not be joined with them in burial. There's another reference to, I'm not going to bury you because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Now, what does this mean? <clears throat> it's, a, it's a Hebraism, but it's a Middle Eastern tradition. In the Middle East, in the ancient world, when a king took over another kingdom, do you know what they would do to that other king's family? Kill him. You kill all of their family because they will rise up against you one day. So when a king took over, he would slaughter the, the, the person's family. Messiah is saying the same thing. I will slaughter every, every family member of the Antichrist, number one. And number two, there will never be a rebellion like this ever again. I'm going to prevent it because now I'm a king and no one's going to rebel ever again. And that's what he's saying here. It's a Middle Eastern way of saying no more rebellion. Now watch, this is where it gets gory, but you've got to understand the gore. It's important. Then the Lord will go and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So Jesus alone is gonna go fight. We're with him in this. We watch it, we don't fight. We're just with him and the angels are with him and we watch. He alone does the battle. Now the first place where the battle starts is in Basra or Petra. Who is this who comes from Edom? Edom is modern-day Petra in southern Jordan. Why is he going there? Because 
The remnant of Israel has escaped into Petra to flee from the Antichrist. So he goes to rescue them first, according to Zechariah chapter 12. This one who is glorious in his peril, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your peril red, it asks, and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? So here's what you have to imagine. Jesus comes back out of heaven wearing white. But the, the, the writer, Isaiah, is saying, why do I see the Messiah in his white apparel, but he's got stains all over his apparel? Why are they red? It's blood. Is it his blood? No. This is where the concept of the grapes of wrath come from. It's not Steinbeck talking about the, the people from Oklahoma coming to California. I know they call the book Grapes of Wrath, but that's not, this is truly the grapes of wrath. So as a, if you would make wine in the ancient days, right, you have to go in there barefoot and, and you would stomp on those grapes, right? And as you stomped on them, the grape, the grape juice would splash on your garments. So when you got out, all your garments were full of grape juice, but it had the crimson color in them, okay? So we're not talking about grape juice. We're talking about blood, blood. So he says, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples, no one was with me. He did it alone. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments uh, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought them down, brought down their strength to the earth. It's Jesus alone doing this. People say, well, this is not my Jesus. I'm sorry, then you don't have a biblical Jesus. Let me show you in the map what happens. You can see Petra. You can see Jerusalem, okay? The Jews, the, uh, uh, the remnant Jews that obeyed Messiah will be out in Petra. That's why he goes there first to rescue them from the Antichrist. The Antichrist army and the Antichrist will be surrounding Petra to try to annihilate them. And that's what he rescues them from, okay? Then there's another group hung up in Jerusalem, as you can see on the map. And they, he will go from Petra up to Jerusalem to rescue that other remnant from the Antichrist army. Okay, so as Christ is moving, he has not touched the ground yet. He will touch the ground once he reaches Jerusalem and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. So he is hovering and he moves in destroying the armies of Antichrist from Petra to Elat all the way to Jerusalem. Okay, so as he does it, how does he kill the armies of Antichrist? A very unique way and a way that will make sense when I explain it. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fight against Jerusalem or all the Jews. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongue shall dissolve in their mouths. The Hebrew is trying to tell you as he uncreates them, he literally melts them. He melts all of their bodies. This is why it's not talked about on Sunday mornings. This is why you don't ever hear this. He literally melts people. This is the holy God that we sang about. This is the righteous and justice God that we all know. And now you're seeing his penalty. He literally melts them. Now, here's the thing. 
What happens after he melts them? We're at 90% water and we have blood. So he liquefies them. He literally liquefies them. So what happens with all this liquid? So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. The city is Jerusalem. The blood came out of the winepress, the judgment, up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, 200 miles, according to Revelation 14. So let me go back to the map. You see the red? That's the blood. It is a lake of blood after having dissolved the armies of Antichrist that goes from roughly 200 miles Jeremiah points out that the blood and the battle goes all the way to Elat, down there on the southern tip where it reaches the water, to Isaiah 63 and Petra, and then Zechariah to Jerusalem, and even into Megiddo or the Valley of Jezreel. Now, what you have to imagine is that that much liquid and blood from him dissolving them is as high as the horse's bridle, which is about five feet. So we have a a, a 200 mile square lake of blood after he's done with them. A lake of blood, it's all blood. He's dissolved them. And by the way, from Elat down there on the bottom all the way to Jerusalem, guess what what the mileage is? 200 miles. Now, I know what you're saying. Brandon, what's the deal here? Why, why, are, why does the scriptures talk about this? Why doesn't people talk about this? Well, here's what you have to understand as part of our application. Why so much blood? It, we've never seen a bloodbath like this by God. Here's what it has to do with. It has to do with a violation of the Noahic covenant which is the, one of the main reasons for the tribulation. What do you mean? Well, if you read the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter nine, God first establishes that if you murder somebody, then I will demand your life. And that's how he wants the world to operate. The, 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 the basis of our legal system comes from the understanding of capital punishment. If a society will not execute those who murder, then your whole foundation is ruined legally. So the foundation legally is you have to obey God in capital punishment. Guess what's happened over the thousands of years? People get off scot-free with murdering people. So there must be a reckoning of the blood. Righteous Abel's blood cries out to God. Remember that? His blood cries out to me, God said. There must be an accounting for this. Think about modern day times. 63 million babies murdered in a womb. And this joker up there in Sacramento wants to put his shit all the way to the time of birth and then give vacations to people wanting to come here in California to have an abortion. The blood that has been shed of innocent people must be accounted for. Hence, that's why there's the lake of blood. 
all these people right now that are okay with murdering, like Stacey Abrams, like Gavin Newsom, wanting euthanasia, wanting to give you the experimental jab so that some of the population dies. Fauci must have an accounting. Hitler must have an accounting. The Antichrist must have an accounting. Hence, the justice of God for shedding blood will be seen in the lake of blood. And God will be satisfied once there is an accounting of it. Now, what does that do for you and I? It tells you the reason for the blood and it tells you the justice of God. And why do you need to see this? Because here's the thing that it applies to you. You have just seen how God will deal with evil. You have just seen the justice of God. It's gonna come in the future. But what is that supposed to do for me now? Well, right now it's supposed to calm you down. It's supposed to temper your anger because we're all getting angry. I'm getting angry from what I'm seeing, especially when they're doing the transgender stuff to the kids and the mutilation, it's just bad, right? It's making us all angry. It is okay to be angry, but do not sin. What, is, what the justice of God does when you see it, it should satisfy you in your desire for justice, okay? that you have to, by faith, take it that God is gonna deal with every wrong that's been happening. And you're gonna get served up more wrong as we continue on, by the way. And you're gonna get more injustice and more injustice to you. You're gonna lose your job, your electric bill is gonna go skyrocketing, your gas price is gonna go skyrocketing. But you have to remember the justice of God. The justice of God is coming. Why? Because if you don't, if you don't accept the justice of God, coming in the future, then you will act on your own. And then you will take matters into your own hands and you will seek revenge. That's what the problem is. Satan is trying to provoke you so much that you will seek revenge. Because if you seek revenge, then they've got you. That's exactly what the system wants. It wants a reason to arrest you and throw you in jail and throw away the key like they did the January 6th. That's what they're currently doing to those praying in front of abortion mills. They're putting them and locking them up and giving them an 11-year sentence. They want to provoke you. And so what God is trying to say is, guys, don't act without me. I, I'm, look at what I told you I'll do to them. They're going to be liquefied. Trust me that the justice will come in, in my timing, not your timing, Brandon. So cool it, Brandon. Cool it. Calm down. That's what he's trying to do. Because I need you to do a mission until I take you home. And if, I, and if the devil can get you off mission because you're seeking revenge and all twisted off, then it, it's ruined the rest of the time I have to work with you. If you're all twisted off and you're ready to you know, start World War III, Brandon, I can't use you because I need you for this. I need you to do the Great Commission. I need you to disciple. I need you to evangelize. And if they're gonna get you that upset that you can't work for me, then they've, they've won the battle on you. 
That's what the justice of God does for us. It settles us, it puts us back on mission and you're like, okay, you're right, he's gonna deal with it. I just need to be about my father's business. That's what it teaches us. Now remember this, the wheels of justice grind very slow but they grind very fine. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn about this awful individual, the Antichrist. It sickens us. I mean, even Daniel was sickened to to look at this. It is hard for us to bear, but we see the spirit right now of Antichrist working. We're seeing it in the morality of our people and the, the power trips that people are on and the God complexes. But help us, Father, to do your will. To stand for truth, speak the truth, stand for righteousness' sake until you call us home. To do your your job, your work, and not be distracted by these evildoers. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that hasn't been saved, they would understand that salvation is for them, for everybody if they would just simply understand that Jesus died on a cross for their sins and paid that penalty, took the wrath that we just watched happen to the world, he took that wrath for anybody who will simply believe in him, that he died and was buried and rose on the third day and offers everlasting life just to anyone who will believe in him. That's it. Speak to hearts now as we have this time of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.